the book of Mark, chapter number 3. And um, we're going to look in the 31st verse of this chapter, Mark, 30, Mark 3, verse number 31 this evening. The scripture says, There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without, seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. He did not say father, did he? God's his father, amen? So the question would be tonight, as we look in the scriptures, Preacher Darren, what would be the title of this message? Well, we could easily title it, Being in the Family, or Who is My Family? And that's a really good question tonight. So we're going to talk about the family of God, the spiritual family. Now, there are many metaphors in the scripture that are used to communicate the reality of our Christian faith. But Jesus chose in these verses to give you the picture of the family. The family, I looked up the definition, it is defined as the social unit consisting of parents, husband and wife, and the children that they raise. The family is a household establishment. The family did not originate from culture. The family did not originate from society. It was the genius of Almighty God to originate the family. It is God that designed the family. A family is built upon its mutual commitment one to another. There's strong loyalty within the, within the family and there's values that the family has. A family lives together. A family works together. A family pulls together. A family weeps together. A family rejoices together, if we could say it like that. A family is built up on mutual relationship of loving hearts that as they love one another, they care one for another. They are bound together by their commitment and by their love. Think about your relationship with your husband or with your wife, your spouse. Think about your relationship with your children. That is family right there. And thank God for the family. A family has strong leadership. And there is respect for the leadership inside the family. There's often family resemblances, likenesses. Uh, that, that when children are born, they take upon the traits of mom or dad, amen, that are passed down. So Jesus presents to us this image of the family to picture those of us who are rightly related to the Redeemer. Thank God for it. We as believers are in the family of God. God is our Father and Jesus is our elder brother. Now, how did we get in the family? We had to be born again. 
The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse number 12, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So you had to be born again to get in the family of God. Or there is what we call adoption. We have received the spirit of adoption. He has adopted us. Being born again, he's adopted us into his family. All of us in that family are brothers and sisters in the household of faith. And being born again, we're to have Christ's likeness in our life. Our family has a mutual commitment to the values of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And all who are in this family, they're supposed to love one another. And they're supposed to encourage one another. Say amen. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We strive to work together in unity. There are responsibilities and duties that all of us have within this family. We are the family of God. In this text, Jesus puts an emphasis on the family. He says in verse 33, Who is my mother or my brethren? He is surrounded there in this moment by those, I mean they're seated all the way around him, 360 degrees around him. They're seated around him and he is teaching them. And as he's teaching, his physical family, Mary and his brothers, half-brothers, all appear into that setting and they can't get to where he is and they send for him and they call to him. And Jesus takes this moment to begin instructing us about not just a physical family, but the spiritual family. He puts an emphasis on the family of God. Amen. Three things I want to say and I'll be done. Number one, I believe in this verse, in these verses, we see an intervention. Again, verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother. And standing without, they're not in the people there's multitudes, crowds gathered around him, completely around him, and so much that they can't get to where he is. So they have to send a word to him to call him out of that so they can speak with him separately. The word then points back to events that have just taken place, events that have just preceded this moment. What has happened? Oh, there's a brewing conflict. There is the religious leaders who came and said that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. In fact, he said, look at verse 22. They said he hath Beelzebub. In other words, he has a demon that Jesus is in league with the devil. And by the devil, Jesus is working miracles what an accusation I mean there's a crisis there's a controversy there's a conflict that's brewing right in that moment but Jesus held his ground in a very strong fashion amen and into this text when there's controversy and when there's conflict a brewing amongst the crowd at Jesus come his mother and his brothers 
They arrive about that very time. They have picked up on there is imminent threats to Jesus, Mary's son, or these a half-brother to these four men that are standing here with Mary. And they are come and are hearing from a distance Jesus teach and his brothers don't believe him. When he says he's the son of God, they laugh. When he does these miracles, they're amazed and are wondering at the bag of tricks he's up to. And they hear the confrontation of the religious leaders with their half-brother and they believe their half-brother has lost his mind. In fact, look at verse 21. Look at what his kinsmen, his friends said about him. End of the verse. He is beside himself. They don't believe him. They're saying Jesus is beside himself. If we don't intervene and get him out of there, they're going to kill him. So they've come to lay hold on Jesus and rescue him. May I say it like this? His family is trying to save the Savior. He doesn't need their help. And he doesn't need our help either. In fact, may I just go out here on a limb and see if I can get an amen. He don't need saving. He is the Savior, amen. He does the saving. Let's talk about Jesus' physical family. His mother Mary conceived him as a virgin. Y'all better get with me or I'll preach a long time. The Bible says in Luke 2, 7, and I read it again today, that Mary brought forth her firstborn son, which is an indication that she's probably going to have more in the future if he's the firstborn. There will be more in the future, but only one was conceived of the Holy Ghost. His name is Jesus. Mary got married to a man by the name of Joseph. And they had children. I could read with you. Turn to Matthew 13. Turn there with me. Matthew 13. I want to look in verse number 55 tonight. Matthew 13, verse 55. Look what was said about him. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Jesus' physical family, Mary, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, Joseph who's probably deceased, and his half-sisters. He's got a big family. And here I believe that this family has come to rescue him out of this situation. If I took time to read to you John chapter 7 verse 5, the Bible said, Neither did yet his brethren believe in him. They scoffed at him and mocked at him and were scratching their head at what was happening to their half-brother. But did you know after Jesus died on the cross and after he was raised again from the dead, the Bible says in Acts 1.14, you can check the book, that his brothers 
believed in him and they're gathered in the upper room with 120 praying for the Holy Ghost power to fall on the day of Pentecost. Amen. And in verse 31, his family arrives, but it's impossible to get close to him because there's such a multitude. And so they sent word and called him out. Verse 32, some of the multitude said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren seek for thee. So they're hoping to pull him away to safety. And may I just say that his family misunderstands who he is. Can I get a witness there? May I go on a limb here and say Jesus is often misunderstood. In fact, your family may misunderstand the depth of your commitment to Jesus Christ. Your family may feel threatened and or convicted by your commitment. That they're going to go around saying, you're unbalanced. You're off your rocker. You've been brainwashed by that preacher or that church down there. And they misunderstand your commitment to the things of God. What about that? When you say Jesus Christ is the only way, they misunderstand they think you've lost it, that Jesus is just a way. Honey, he is not just a way. He is the only way. I don't care who doesn't like it. It's the truth. Your family may misunderstand your willingness to do the unthinkable. I had family members when I quit my job and resigned my church to go full-time from Hendersonville, North Carolina. They laughed at me and said, what are you doing? I would never do this. My words were, God's not asking you to do it. He's asking me to do it. And I came to Spruce Pine, North Carolina, been 20 some odd years ago. And I thank God for the time that I was able to step out and trust him and follow him. And my family misunderstood, thought I'd lost my ever-loving mind. You see, when people surrender to go on the mission field and they're going to a native Africa, to jungles and to, to all these people, these tribal people, your family may not understand your commitment to the things of God. It's okay. Jesus was often misunderstood as well. Hey man, I may be a I may be a nut, but I'm hooked on the right bolt. I may, amen, I'm hooked on the right bolt, amen. Thank God for it. Jesus is what's right for us, amen. Jesus' his own mother, at this time, his half-brothers could not figure him out. They were afraid that Jesus is in danger and something's going to happen to him. So they've come to intervene and, and, and kind of interrupt what's going on. So number one, we see a family intervention. You ever had one? Jesus didn't need it, amen. Number two, I want us to see the instruction that Jesus gives us in verse 33. He instructs the multitude, he instructs his physical family, and he instructs us in this moment. And he answered them saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? What does that mean? Now, Jesus is not being disrespectful. He knows who Mary is. He knows James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. He knows who they are. But he's asking the question to intentionally draw in his audience that he might teach them. He's intending intentionally to teach them truth. 
Oftentimes as a teacher, I think I did it tonight as I started. Oftentimes as a teacher, you may ask a rhetorical question in order to start a, a communication, in order to start a lesson of teaching. Jesus is asking that question, who is my true family? Jesus is saying right here that ultimately I have a physical family, but my true family is my spiritual family. Now think about that for a second. In no way is he diminishing the value of your physical family because the physical family was designed by God. So he's not diminishing that. Remember, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he saw his mother down at the foot of the cross and said to John, his disciple, Behold thy mother. Amen? He said to the woman, he said to Mary, Woman, behold thy son. And he's saying, John, take care of my mother. Make her your mother from this day forward. I'm going to die. I can't do it anymore. Will you do it in my place? Jesus still cares for his mother while he's dying on the cross. He is not diminishing the value of our physical family, none whatsoever. But Jesus' words in this text is elevating the greatness and the depth of the spiritual family above that of the physical family. Now you may think about this for a minute, but your physical family is temporary. Your spiritual family is eternal. Your physical family is earthly now. Your spiritual family is both earthly now and eternal in heaven forever. And your spiritual family, you'll spend more time with them than you will your physical family. But what a double blessing when your physical family is also part of your spiritual family. I aim to take my family with me. Can I get a witness there? Amen. Thank God for the family God gave us. Despite the many blessings of the physical family, the spiritual family is far greater. Jesus unmistakably has underscored this truth and made this a priority. In the book of Luke, turn there. The book of Luke chapter 14. Turn there with me, please. Luke 14. I want to look at verse number 26. Luke 14, verse 26. Look at Jesus' words here and the teaching about the physical family and the spiritual family. Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Preacher, he didn't say that. Jesus is often misunderstood. <laughs> He's often misunderstood by his own family. Physical and spiritual. What Jesus means here is, it's okay to love your daddy. It's okay to love your mama. It's okay to love your brothers and your sisters and your cousins and, and, and your in-laws. And you ought to love your outlaws too. Say amen right there. But as you love your physical family, your love for Christ should be so much greater and should be in such a fashion that when we compare the love you have for your family to the love you have for Jesus Christ, 
It looks like you hate your family and that you love Jesus alone. It gets kind of quiet when I say that because that's the way it's supposed to be. How many times have we said, I need to miss church because I've got to be with my family? Well, it got quiet, didn't it? He's not saying, preacher, didn't he used the word hate. What he means is that your love for them should appear, could, should appear like hate because your love for Jesus is so much greater. Because your spiritual family is so much greater. The love for your elder brother should exceed the love you have for your physical brother. Are y'all okay? That's instruction. Jesus is giving instruction. I like how Matthew puts it. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Matthew 10, verse 34. Jesus has given us instruction. Think not. Don't misunderstand me. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. What, preacher? I am not. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Verse 35. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father. And the daughter against her mother. And the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Are y'all getting what I'm laying down? I went over to the farm when I started preaching. My grandpa said, son, I want you to watch. And he threw chicken feet at here, chick, 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 here, chick, 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 here, chick. Man, them chickens come out. And they started eating that chicken feet he was laying on the ground. And then he took a handful of that chicken feet and he throwed it at them as hard as he could. And it hit them like BB guns and they fled every which way. And he went back to going here, chick, 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 and they wouldn't come back. He said, do you, get, do you get what I'm laying down, son? How you preach to people from the pulpit will be whether they come back or not, whether they trust you in the word. Jesus said that we're to preach the truth in love. He got back to here, chick, 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 a one black-headed baney rooster Stuck his head out around the corner of the barn, hungry. Grandpa had that chicken feed and throwed it down there to him. And he'd come out just a little, and just a little bit more. And started eating that feed and eating that feed. And all the other chickens is watching him. And finally he laid it down off the top of his shoe. And that baney rooster came and ate that chicken feed right off the top of his shoe. He said, son, if you'll love them, they'll trust you and you'll help them. And next thing you know, the whole barnyard was full of chickens again. I'm telling you. How we conduct ourselves in the pulpit, in the classroom, in the world in which we live. We must declare and live the truth, but we must live it in love. Don't live it so cold and mishandle the word of God. Simon Peter took a sword and tried to chop off the high priest servant's head, but he missed and only got his ear. Don't be an itinerant preacher. Preach the truth. Jesus said that your love for your physical family should pale in comparison to the love that you have for Jesus Christ. Are y'all okay with that statement? It's a hard statement, but it's truth. It's a hard statement, 
And there are so many times that we put our physical families ahead of the Lord. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. My first duty is to pastor my wife and my children and now our grandchild. That's my first duty. God called me to pastor them before he called me to pastor anybody else. My job is to win my family and lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. Get that, right? That's after I've worshipped God. After I've spent time at Jesus' feet. He's first in my life. Then I witness and I pastor my family. Then the flock of God. Do you get it like that? Hear me tonight. Jesus has given us wise instruction. Hard words to hear. We often put our families and the love for our families above the things of God. Listen to our prayer list. Listen to what you pray for. Listen to what I pray for. We prioritize things wrong very often. Do you see that? Amen. We're seeing a movement. Let's go back to Mark chapter 3. We're seeing a movement today that's trying to destroy the physical family. One that's been uh, in play for many years. The devil, the sinister minister, is doing all he can to try to destroy the family. We must protect the importance of the physical family while placing emphasis on the protection of the spiritual family. There are times when your physical family may not understand you, but God will never turn you away. We were reading through the Psalms back in February, I believe it was, and there was a verse that just leapt out and grabbed me. Pardon me while I read it to you tonight. It's in Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. There's a time that your mama and your daddy can't be here for you. You've become dependent on mom and dad, but one of these days, they're leaving here. They're not meant to stay here forever. When mom and dad forsake me, when they're taken away, the Lord take me up. He'll never refuse you. Thank God for it. You see, your spiritual family is greater than your physical family. Don't feel hard at me tonight. I'm just preaching what Jesus said. Amen. Number three, and I'll be done. We're talking about the family of God having eternal value. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about the local New Testament church. We're talking about the believers that are gathered in this room and those who may be tuned in online tonight. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in the family of God. Jesus asked a question. Who is my mother or my brethren? Verse 34. And he looked round about on them which sat about him. He, he looked at everybody. I wonder if he did a 360 and just panned the entire group. And he said, Behold, my mother and my brethren! Exclamation mark. Preacher Darren, I don't understand. He's going to give us thirdly an interpretation. Jesus looked at all those seated around him and he said, Whosoever shall do the will of God the same is my brother and my sister and my 
mother. In these verses, he gives us an exclusive statement. He also gives us an inclusive statement. Let's consider the inclusive one first. I like it. Jesus said, whosoever. Don't you like that? Whosoever. Whether you're black, white, brown, red, yellow, whosoever is anybody. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a boy or a girl, whether you're old or whether you're young, whether you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, Gentile or Jew, whosoever is inclusive of all. It's an inclusive statement. But right right behind it follows an exclusive statement. Whosoever shall do the will of God. That's interesting. Preacher, that sounds like to me Jesus is teaching salvation by works. No, be very clear. He's teaching a salvation that works. (laughs) Whosoever will do the will of God. What is the will of God? That no man should perish. That every man would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he took upon himself your sin and my sin and walked up Calvary's hill and willingly laid down his life, shedding his life's blood that we might be saved, that he was buried and that on the third day the stone was rolled away and he arose. And Jesus is alive forevermore and he's coming back to get us and take us home. That's the will of God that we believe him. Whosoever will do the will of God. He's talking about those that are of the spiritual family, that are surrendered, that are submitted, that are committed, that are uh, obedient from the heart to serve God. Doing the will of God is evidence of your salvation by grace. Saving faith is the root and obedience is the fruit. Now I want to read to you out of Ezekiel some verses and I'm done. Ezekiel 30. Ezekiel 36, I believe it is. Ezekiel 36. Now look what the Lord does. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Look what the Lord does for us. I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture, and I will be done. Ezekiel 36, 26. When you do the will of God, when you get born again, the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I like this, A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. Ezekiel 36, 26. When you got saved, the old things were passed away. And behold, all things are made new. You're still a member of a physical family on earth. But now you're a member of a spiritual family on earth going to heaven. And God said, you're a new creature. I have given you a new heart and I'm putting within you a new spirit. What is this new spirit? His spirit. The Holy Ghost lives inside of us, amen. That's the will of God. He'll help you perform the will of God. Now, I thought about this. Matthew chapter 7. This is a hard verse, but I want to look at it positively. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. 
I have three verses. This is the second one. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But who? He that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. You see, when you are saved and heart now, you are capable of serving God. And he expects you to perform and to do the will of God because you're saved. It's a salvation that works. Amen? Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. Well, I said, Lord. I guarantee there was a time that Judas said, Lord, Lord. Right? But it's more than just using the term. It is a rendering and a surrendering of the will and bowing and humbling our hearts to the Lord, repenting of our sins. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I want to look at verse 36. John 3, 36. I want you to see it. You've read it many times. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Say amen right there. That's very clear. If you believe on the Son of God, you have everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus said, Who is my mother or my brethren? It's those that are born again. It's those that God has given a new heart to. It's those that God has given his spirit to. It is those who have submitted and humbled themselves and surrendered their will and live obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater blessing than to be a child of the King, a son or daughter to God the Father, Jesus being your elder brother. No greater blessing in life. There was a, a revival broke out in Wales, England. Many missionaries surrendered out of that revival to go forward. And some of them came to Indian tribal areas. And when they did, they came to remote village. And the missionary led a man and his wife to faith in Jesus Christ. And the two children of the home as well. The entire family got saved. And then the village chief heard that one of his men and his family were serving God. Not the chief's God. Not the God of the clouds and the things that they serve. But the God of all glory. And the chief called the man and his wife and his children to stand before him. And he said, renounce your God. And the man said, I cannot. My faith in Jesus Christ is real. And the man, the chief, had two people draw back bow and arrow and shoot his children and kill them before his very eyes. And he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, you take away my children, still I will follow. I will follow Jesus. The chief said, renounce Christ. 
They killed his wife before his very eyes. And he said, the cross before me and the world behind me. But I have decided to follow Jesus. And on the spot, the chief killed the man. The entire family was exterminated off the face of the earth. All four of them were taken home to glory. And on earth, the chief, showing his violent nature, had no remorse for what he had done and went back to his tent and began to ponder, why would that man not only give his own life, not only give his wife's life, but give the life of his two children if it wasn't real? And the chief sought out the missionary from Wales and inquired of the faith. And the man from Wales trembled because he thought, if he killed those four, he's going to kill me too. Tell me about your Jesus. And when the man from Wales told the village chief about Jesus, he repented of his sins. You see, God has enough mercy that if you get out on one knee and say, forgive me, God, of the murders I've committed. Forgive me of my sins. I was ignorant. God has enough mercy to forgive them and make them whole and save their soul. Say, preacher, they're not never do it. Well, that's why you're not God. But God has enough mercy to do that. His son paid the price. The village chief's wife got saved. The village chief's two children got saved. He made sure that the missionary had a place that he could preach. And hear me, soon the entire village revival broke out. The entire village got saved. Oh, but Preacher Darren, it cost that man and his wife and those children their lives. They're still living. And great is their reward in heaven. May I just say this? That your physical family, we love them, but your spiritual family is so much greater. And we often don't value that or think about that. But I am so glad that I've been made a part of the family of God. <laughs> I'm unworthy, but he's been good to me. Amen. You stand to your feet tonight. Maybe you're watching online or you're here tonight and say, Pastor, I'm not a member of the family of God. Well, I'll tell you how you can become one real quick. Are you a sinner? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Did Jesus die on the cross? The Bible says that God sent his son to die on that cross and shed his blood that we might be saved. And he was buried and raised again on the first day of the week. And if you just repent and call on the Lord and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me and save my soul? Just as much as he did for that village chief, he'd do it for you. Paul was a murderer. He held the coats of them while they stoned Stephen. He was consenting to his death. He was as guilty as those who threw the rocks. Moses was a murderer. He murdered an Egyptian. And God had enough mercy to forgive them. Tonight, if your head bowed, nobody's looking. Maybe you're online right now. I'm asking you. Face somebody here. You say, Pastor Darren, I, I want to go to heaven. I need to be saved. I want to slip up my hand. Maybe you're watching at home. Nobody in the audience here at the church, congregation. If you're watching at home, I'm going to ask you right now to bow on your knee. Bow on your knee and say, Jesus. Forgive me my sins. I believe you died for me because you love me. 
I believe that you were buried. And I believe on the first day of the week you arose. And Lord, tonight I ask you, would you forgive me my sins, wash me in your blood, and save my soul. Father, tonight I'm so thankful that many years ago you allowed me in an old-fashioned church the opportunity to bow on my knees and you came to where I was and you saved me and you forgave me and you made me a child of the King, part of the family of God. Lord, I want to confess to you tonight there have been so many times that I think that I have valued or thought more of my physical family than I did for you. Forgive me of that, Lord. I want my relationship with you to be greater than it's ever been before. Lord, I love my physical family. God, I want to love you even greater. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share the word, hard words, often misunderstood words, but thank you for truth, Lord, tonight. For this we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen.